Well, what a day it is to be together, to worship and to celebrate. And not only are we meeting here in this place and in this building, but in some ways we join together with millions of other Christians all over this globe who are celebrating the greatest event in all of history. It's an event on which our faith is based. The tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive. Amen. Today, I want to begin by asking a question. The question is this. How many of us like life to be fair? I I think that most of us would say, absolutely, I want life to be fair. For example, I I have this big bag of Reese's candy here this morning. They're in uh, uh, Easter egg shape um, pieces here. But I I bought these to give them to my kids, and I don't know about you, but our family just loves these things. And if I were to give one of my kids two of these Reese's, and I gave another one of of my kids three of these Reese's, we would start World War III in our house. The kid who received only two would say, you know what, that's not fair. How come I got uh, two and that one got three. Th- 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 I don't know why that didn't ha- why I didn't get the same amount. And they would appeal to some unwritten code that says every kid shall have three Reese's. But it's not just kids who feel that way. It's adults who feel that way as well. Last week, I went to go to get my hair cut at the barber, and I pulled up outside the barber shop, and there was this car that was sitting there that was all smashed in. It seemed a bit odd to me, but I thought, you know, I, I wonder what must have happened to that car. And I parked anyway, and I, I walked inside. I went to the back to where my barber was. And I sat down in the chair. We started talking, kind of like small talk at first, and and it, like the questions were like, hey, what have you been up to? And how's your family? And what's going on in your day? How's your day been going? And he says to me, you know what? You just won't believe what happened just about a half hour ago outside. He goes on to tell me that he was giving this little boy his first ever haircut that this was the first time he'd ever been in the barber shop. This is the first time he'd ever sat in the barber's chair. The first time that he'd ever had a razor on the side of his head. Both he and his mom were really nervous about this. And she was taking all sorts of pictures, recording the whole thing. When all of a sudden they hear this loud bang outside. They go look outside the window and there is a car. Her car had been hit and there's another car that's taking off down the street. And so they run over to the door and they they, uh, run out the door and here uh, she had been hit, but they can't find the car that hit her anywhere. Nowhere to be found. It had taken off. Now the good news is that while they were waiting for the police to show up, the little boy did get his first haircut. And what a memorable haircut that was. But now this lady doesn't have a car to drive. She has to take it to the repair shop to get it fixed. She has to pay for that to get fixed out of her own pocket. Her insurance rates are going to skyrocket. And all because this other person hit her and didn't stop to take responsibility for it. That's not fair. Or the other day I saw this picture that we're going to put up on the screen. It's the unofficial picture. 
at the finish line of the 100-meter race in the opening games of the 1940 Olympics. Later on, these games were canceled. Now, at first, you look at this picture and you think, well, what's the big deal? Until you find out that the guy at the bottom of the picture, Abraham Tokazer, he uh, seems to have crossed the finish line first, but he got fourth place in this race. Now, to be fair, the judges didn't have access to the picture the day of the race, and so they had to rely on visual observation. But come on, they gave this guy fourth place? That's so unfair. I'm sure that we can all think of lots of examples of things that are unfair, and we all want life to be fair, or at least we think we do. But today, I want to take you to a story in the New Testament where God wasn't fair. And even as I say that, you might be wondering, what did you just say, Jason? I mean, God wasn't fair? That doesn't even sound right, but it's true. God wasn't fair. The story is in Luke chapter 23. And so if you have a Bible with you today, or you can open one of the Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app on your phone or your tablet, and join me, if you will, in Luke chapter 23. Now, to just kind of set the context here, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, has just condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion. And so that's where we kind of pick up this story, beginning in verse 32 of Luke chapter 23. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that was called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Let me stop there for just a moment here and explain to you just a little bit about what crucifixion really was. Crucifixion was the most painful, humiliating form of death in the first century. In fact, we get this word, we get our word excruciating from it, which literally means out of the cross. In other words, there were no other words at the time to describe just how painful crucifixion was, and so they had to make up a word, excruciating. Crucifixion would begin with 39 lashings, because the Romans believed that if you got 40 lashings, you would literally die, and they didn't want to quite do that to you just yet. But, but the whip that was used it, it, uh, to give these lashings, it had these little pieces of glass and bone that were interwoven into the rope. And so when it hit your back, the glass and the bone would just dig in. And as it was pulled back, your flesh and your skin would be pulled back and come with the whip. Now, if a person was still alive after that, by the time that they got to the cross... That their, their spine and their organs were often exposed. And so they, they would, uh, even if you, uh, many would even die because of all the loss of blood on the way to the cross. The way that a person dies in crucifixion is that they can't breathe. There were these seven inch nails, something similar to these, that would be driven into your wrists and then into your ankles, and you would be stretched out there on the cross. 
It would put pressure on your lungs and you could not breathe. You could not get a breath very easily. And so you'd have to push yourself up so that you could get a breath and so that you could exhale. Sometimes crucifixion would last two to four days. Two to four days of being out there in the hot sun beating down on you. Every moment pushing yourself up, trying to get a breath and letting out that breath until eventually you were so exhausted that you would just die from asphyxiation. Sometimes if a person was still alive after a few days on the cross, a soldier would come and break their legs so that they couldn't push themselves up anymore, which was considered to be an act of mercy. Only the worst of the worst criminals were crucified. It cost money to have a soldier there to monitor the situation. It was humiliating to be naked in front of spectators in public. And so only the most significant criminals were crucified. Jesus was crucified just like that on a cross. It's not just a story, but it really did happen to him. And as he was on this cross, looking out at this crowd of people, he prayed these words to his Father in heaven that are recorded in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That ought to take our breath away. Being beaten and whipped, seven-inch nails driven through your wrists and through your ankles, and he looks out at this crowd of people who had put him up on that cross, and he says to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm not sure that I would have been able to pray that. I don't know what I would have prayed. I might have prayed something like this. Father, zap them. Or, Father, give them painful rashes in places that they cannot reach. I don't know if I would have been able to pray this. I'm pretty sure I would not have been able to pray. Father, forgive them. And yet that's exactly what it is that Jesus did. Look at what it says beginning in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanging, (coughs) hanged, railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The second criminal says, hey, you know what? We're getting what we deserve. We've done something wrong. We deserve what we are getting right now. Don't you like it when people get what they deserve? I I, I know that I tend to do that. I, I tend to like that. You know, there are a whole group of phrases around that idea. Hey, you got what was coming to you. You made your bed, now sleep in it. What goes around, comes around. You're getting what you deserve. Just a few days ago, I was driving down the street in the left lane 
when a guy with a really loud pickup truck came flying down the street and tried to pass me on the right. But the problem was that there was a car that was right in front of me, and so I couldn't go any faster, and there was a car in front of him, and so he couldn't cut around them either, and so he tries to cut around me, and... um, he thought that he was going to be able to get past us, but he couldn't. He, he wasn't able to get in front of me. Well, I, I realized that being a Chicago driver, here's exactly what I did. I, I sped up. I got right on the bumper of that person who was in front of me, and I said, you know what? You don't deserve to be one car in front of me. You deserve to be one car behind me. Eventually, this guy finally is able to find an opening and he goes flying around us as fast as he can down the street. And about five minutes later, I see the twinkling of lights. And it is this loud engine pickup truck guy who has been pulled over. Now, when I drove past, I was just kind of playing it cool on the outside But on the inside, I was jumping up and down. I was uh, cheering. I I was uh, fist pumping in the air. I was saying, yeah, now what? See what you deserve? Because I like it when people get what they deserve. In fact, I want to go back to that first criminal. He has this sense of entitlement about him. He's mocking Jesus. He's making fun of Jesus. And then he says, and oh, by the way, why don't you save yourself and us? The second criminal doesn't say anything like that. The second criminal just says, hey, we're getting what we deserve. Jesus, he's innocent. He didn't do anything to deserve to be crucified. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I know that many of us have heard this this story before. And so we, we kind of know how Jesus responds. But I want you to just kind of set that aside for a moment here. How would you expect Jesus to respond? You might expect Jesus to say something like this. Listen, you do the crime, you do the time. You might expect him to say, hey, you made your bed, now sleep in it. What goes around comes around. In fact, Notice that there is nothing that this second criminal can do to somehow uh, make amends for his sin. There's nothing that he can do to reform his life. He can't say to Jesus, listen, I'll, I'll get baptized if you remember me. He can't say, oh, you know what? I promise that I'll start going to church. I promise that I will be faithful to go to church if you'll just remember me when you come into your kingdom. He can't reform his life. He can't clean up his act. He can't do an anger management class. He can't even raise his hands in order to praise God because they are nailed to the cross. And yet Jesus looks at this man and he he looked at what he and look at what he says here in verse 43. He says, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Friends, that is not fair at all. But it is the greatest news that any of us will ever hear. In fact, there are two truths from this story that I hope that you'll believe with me today. And the first one is just simply this. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. God's not fair And that's really good news for us. God gives us better than fair. He gives us grace. 
Psalm chapter 103 makes this very clear. Verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, I, I don't know what your view of God is today, but this is what the Bible says about him, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love. Verse 9, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Anyone here today live with a sense of guilt? Researchers have found that many people have this guilt over their food choices. They call it food guilt. There's such a thing as mom guilt. So you go and you drop your kid off at school and it's January. They get out of the car and you notice that they're not wearing their jacket. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness. I mean, they're going to go out to recess and all of the teachers are going to say, whose mom would send their kid to school in January without a jacket on? You're, you're trying to get dinner ready. You're cleaning up the house. You, you, you help, you're trying to help the kids get their homework done. You've got this bridal shower on Saturday and you're trying to get the perfect gift. You know what? You have this I- impossible heap of responsibilities and it's hard to keep everything straight. Mom guilt. There's dad guilt too. You know, my, struggle, my, my son struggles with his temper because I struggle with my temper. You know, I've been too critical of my son, and that's why he struggles with his confidence. I'm not around enough. There's spiritual guilt. Well, God must be so disappointed in me. God must be upset with me. If I were a better Christian, then I would have done that. If I were a better Christian, then I would not have done this. I just feel so guilty. Does anyone here today have this sense of guilt about them? Well, what if I were to tell you that your guilt can be washed away? Several years ago, for summer vacation, our family drove up to Michigan and stayed there for a week. My, my wife's parents, they have a, a, a cottage up there, a northeastern part of Michigan. We actually have a picture of this that we're going to put up on the screen But we try to take a vacation or take a few days to go up there every couple of years and spend some time just kind of relaxing and spending time on the lake. Well, this lake is a really small lake. It's in a small town, um, a rural area. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's a very tranquil and very quiet place to be until our family shows up. But, but this area is pretty far removed from any big cities. And in fact, they, they still have some dirt roads around this place. And so you go up to the cottage and, and you spend this time up there. And that's what we were doing this particular week that we were up there. And there are all these dirt roads up there. And we're driving around and there is dust that gets all over our van. And it rains even a little bit while we're up there and you think, oh, it's going to wash the dust off. But then there's mud all over the streets and, and the roads because they're dirt roads and that gets all over the van as well. And so we start on our way back to come home, back to Chicago. And I begin to notice just how dirty our van really is. 
And the way that I noticed is because there are these cars and they're, they're driving beside us and, and we're just kind of minding our own business, just cruising down the road. And, and people in these other cars beside us are, are looking at us. They are staring at this van thinking to themselves, wow, what happened to that thing? So we get home, uh, we unpack things, and I, I say, you know what, i got to go get this van washed, and I just can't be driving this thing around like this very long. And so I, I go over to the car wash, and I wait in line for a little while, and then I get to the entrance, and I roll down my window, and, and the guy looks at me, and he says, oh, man. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. We had just gone on a family vacation to, to Michigan for the past week. And he says, did you leave any dirt there? The, the guy in front of me was driving a Mercedes that was so clean and shiny that it was just blinding me. And, and I wondered, why did he even have to get his, why is he even here? Why is he trying to get his car cleaned? It's already clean. Well, the attendant at the car wash says, so, so what wash do you want? And I say, hey, just give me the cheapest one. And he says, are you sure? Because I don't think that that's going to get this car clean. He told me that I either needed to get the complete package or the ultimate package. And that was the names of the washes. And so I guess he was a good salesman because I ended up getting the ultimate package. But when I pulled out of there, I felt like I had a brand new car. I mean, the guy in the black Mercedes had nothing on me, except for the fact that I was driving a Honda Odyssey minivan that's 15 years old. But friends, there are some of us here today who just feel dirty like my car. Sometimes something that, that you did in the past, uh, you hurt someone, you betrayed someone, you did something absolutely crazy, and you live with this feeling of guilt and shame. Maybe there are others who would say, you know what, it's something that someone else did to me that caused me to feel this guilt and this shame. And you know in your mind that it wasn't your fault, but for some reason you still feel dirty. And it still feels like your life is covered with dirt and grime and the worst part of it is the embarrassment. That everyone seems to know. Everyone sees, everyone knows about this. If that's you this morning, then I want you to know that by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the cross, God can power wash your sins away. He, he offers you the ultimate package today. Your good works can't get you clean. You reforming your life can't clean. You can't clean up your own act. You can't get yourself clean in any way. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We need more than just a second chance. We need a new birth. And that's what Jesus Christ offered that second criminal. Forgiveness. Eternal life. We, we, uh, not, not, just, not, not anything that he deserved, but he did it because it was offered to Jesus offered it. Only Jesus Christ can offer you the ultimate package today because only Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he died so that we could get what we don't deserve. Psalm chapter 103 again says it this way. 
as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Just picture your greatest sins, your greatest failures, that God is taking them and he is removing them as far as the east is from the west. Friends, God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. But here's the second truth that I hope that you'll believe with me today. And it's this. Your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. Mentioned how it's striking that this second criminal couldn't do any good works in order to make up for what he had done. He looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked back at him and he said, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This man was given eternal life, not because of any good works that he did, not because he deserved it, but because of his faith. The second criminal believed that Jesus was going to come again in his kingdom. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul says that we are saved by grace through faith, not by good works. Now, of course, if you genuinely have faith in God, then you're going to do good works. But our good works don't save us. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Saw a video clip recently of senior night at a Christian high school basketball game. And so the, the coach was bringing out these seniors onto the court after the game. And, and he was saying some nice things about their character, and about the contributions that they had made to the team. But there is this one senior who stuck out to me. The coach told the story that after this big win, this senior texted him after the game and said, Coach, I need to talk. And this coach started wondering, well, did I do something wrong? I mean, did he not get enough shots? Did he not not get enough playing time? What's the problem? And so he calls this player back on the phone. And the first words out of this senior's mouth were these. Coach, What's my purpose? He said, my whole life I have been working and dreaming of winning a big game like this. But now that I've won this big game, you know what? I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, is that it? What's my purpose? And this coach is the kind of person that every parent would want their kids to have in their life. Because insightfully, he said to this senior, he said, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? And the senior said, no, I'm not good enough. Have you ever felt that way before? I I have. I've had times in my life where I've thought, oh, I'm too sinful. I've messed up too much. There is no way that God could ever have a purpose for me in life. Well, this coach said to this senior, wait a second here. Jesus doesn't want to save you because you're good enough. Jesus wants to save you because he's good enough. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he died so that we could get what we don't deserve. Friends, that's the gospel. And friends, that is the message that every person on the planet needs to hear. That Jesus wants to save you. Not because you're good enough, but because he is good enough. Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he died so that we could get what we don't deserve. By the way, 
That's different than any other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says that you do need to do something. And that there are some religious good deeds that you need to do, that that you need to perform. And if you do enough good deeds well, then maybe you can be saved. But Christianity is completely different. Christianity says, done. Jesus did it. It's finished. On the cross, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He paid the penalty for our sins that we could not pay. But he didn't just, but we don't just automatically get that. We don't just automatically receive that. We have to receive it into our lives. Go back to that first criminal. He mocked Jesus. He made fun of Jesus. He ignored Jesus. He dismissed Jesus. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, and oh, by the way, save me too. But it doesn't work like that. He was right next to Jesus. But he missed eternal life. I I hope that there's none of us here today who are like that. That you're right next to Jesus. That you're close to him. But you are missing eternal life. You think, well, you know what? I'm a good person. Good people go to heaven, right? I mean, that's what I've heard. And, And yeah, I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes in life. I've done some things that I probably shouldn't have done. But it's not like I really need to call out to Jesus, right? No, you do. The Bible says that we are saved by faith. That there has to be a moment in your life where you say, God, I surrender to you. I put my full faith and my full trust in you. And when we do that, we we can have hope. We can have confidence. We can have eternal life because he died in our place. Wonder if you've ever taken if if you you if they would have taken that second criminal off the cross. I mean, they they didn't, but I wonder if they had taken him off the cross. And they said to him, you know what? We're going to let you live because Jesus is taking your place. He he would have had the wounds of that of those seven inch nails that had been driven through his wrists and through his ankles. But those wounds they would have healed. And every time that he would have looked at those scars, he would have thought, I live because he died. And what would he be fully devoted to? There wouldn't be a day that would go by where he wouldn't think about that innocent man and what he did for him on the cross. He would be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Friend, that that second criminal, his story, it's our story. And let me tell you that, that I, what, what I don't deserve. I don't deserve talking about Jesus on Easter. There are times in my life when I would be a lot more closer to the first criminal than I was to the second. I, I've lied. I've cheated. I've taken things that don't belong to me. My life has been governed by pride. I've hurt people. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, And you were dead in your, transgre- in your trespasses and sins. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We deserved punishment. We deserved consequences. But look at what it says in verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
Even when we could not clean up our act, even when we could not reform our lives, while we were still dead in our sins, Jesus Christ loved us and died for us. Maybe today you've been trying to fill your life with something, with anything. You just want to feel good. And so maybe you've turned to any number of things in order to experience that. But it's all just left you empty. Or maybe you think, you know, I'm just not good enough. I've messed up too much. I've sinned too much. There's no way that God could ever have a purpose for me in life. Well, I want you to know today that God, who is rich in mercy, who loves you so much, He made a way. And that way is Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. You you can have what you want, but that you don't deserve. You can have hope. You can have forgiveness. You can have eternal life. You can have purpose. Here and now. And it all starts by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. Friends, this is the best news ever. We've been given a savior. We've been given a rescuer who has conquered sin and death. And who offers free forgiveness for those who have put their trust in him. We don't deserve it. It's not fair. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son. For us. Let's pray.